Welcome back to the internet. Live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah, this is the Red Line Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us for 20 episodes. Yeah, 20 episodes. That's this one. Uh, I'm your host, Connor Dunstan, and these are my co-hosts... Alex Fielder and... Kyle Holland. Today, in honor of our aforementioned 20th episode... Joyful exclamations by the other two hosts. Woo! Oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to read that. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you. We're going to be talking about the weird and wacky American metros that are too often overlooked when talking about rail transit. This, after the news. Registered trademark. Registered trademark. Don't sue us. Copyright. (laughs) (laughs) Everything. Every possible protection of intellectual property. We should trademark a color for our news segment. Red line red. Red line red. (laughs) Red line red. Yes. I think it should be like this color, but slightly darker. That's probably well, good because that was taken. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's ASUU red. It's probably also just U red. It's probably University of Utah red, is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's big news at the Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transit Authority this week, as two exciting developments have arisen in its ongoing rail build out. First, the K, or Crenshaw Line, is expected to open for riders on October 7th after several years of construction. The K-Line will eventually connect to LAX, bringing rail service to the airport's doorstep for the first time ever. Also of note is that LA Metro announced this week that the regional connector, the downtown subway that promises to bring the two halves of LA's light rail system together, is now effectively complete. Metro plans to begin testing trains in the subway in early November and to open the segment to riders in the first quarter of 2023. Ooh, that's soon. They're always making big moves at the moment. They're building a lot of stuff, like the purple line, this or the D. It's the D line now. It's a subway line. It's getting extended like I don't know, eight miles to the west. So I'm surprised they didn't have an airport connection already. Well, they sort of theoretically did because on the green line, which I don't remember what it, letter it has, because they've changed to. To letters, since they have more than, like, you know, the six lines you can do with colors now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a station called Aviation LAX, but the tricky deal was you had to hop a shuttle bus from there to actually get to LAX, so, so it was a little unfortunate. Not Ooh. incredibly useful. Well, yeah, and you had to, you know, when you get on the green line, that's an east-west line. So if you wanted to go to downtown or to, like, most of the actual city of LA, which is, you know, kind of in the north end of the LA Valley you would have to transfer to the blue line, which is now the A line, I think. So shuttle bus, green line, blue slash A line. To get downtown. And then if you wanted to go to, like, the rest of L.A., then you'd have to hop the red line or purple line, which were the two subway lines, and then to go, you know, further north or a little bit to the So to now the, the purple line is just going straight to the airport. No. The K line's going to the airport, which, which is a different thing. Okay. So, but something's going straight to the airport, so now instead of a three-seat ride, it's a one-seat ride to well, downtown? yeah, mostly. Because LAX has a big enough parking lot that they sort of had to build, like, a little gadget bond train to shuttle people from the airport to the K-Line. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so they're still working on that. Jeez. Yeah. They could oh. just run the train all the way into the airport? Uh, it'd be a big delay since they're planning to... Currently, the Green Line, whose name I do not know, might be the B-Line, question mark, it turns, like, south after uh, Aviation LAX Station. Um, so what they're going to do is they're going to, when they finish the K-Line and connect it up to the Green Line, then they're going to run the K-Line trains down that section, and then the Green Line trains will terminate at LAX, and it'll be a transfer station. 
but that would mean that you'd have to curve all the way into LAX and then back out to get onto the K-Line's normal alignment to go further south. So ah. the idea is you're trying to, like, you know, make it useful for people who are riding it not to the airport. Gotcha, because okay. the airport's not an end of line. It's just a point on the thing. Yes. That seems good. So, yeah, no, and LA is, like, more than any other city in the United States at the moment is building out... Like, they're, as as the kids might say, they're going hard on building rail at the moment. Like, the regional connector, they're building extensions on the red and purple line or the D and something line subways. Um, they're going to build a new subway line, completely new, from the northern half of L.A. to the southern half of L.A. And then they're going to extend the purple line again to make it go to all the way to the beach. And that's after they finish the E-line, also known as the Expo line. And so they're kind of going off at the moment. It's a lot of construction. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine building things could not be the state of Utah. We're, Look, building, we're them. building a freeway. That's not a rapid transit system. I mean, it's pretty rapid. Well, they're building it kind of slow. They are building it kind of slow. <laughs> yeah. I meant, like, transportation <laughs> along the freeway. You can go, like, I don't know, 70-something. You can now. Well, yeah, I mean, until it breaks, <laughs> which it will every day from, like, I don't know, four to four. <laughs> yeah, at least they're building nice bridges now. Yeah. Yeah. I bridges like a good bridge. It's nice that they're actually, like, pretending they care about pedestrians now. I do mm. appreciate that. They pretended to do that by 17th East. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one's... That one's as long as no um, incompetent drivers decide to drive on the wrong side because there's no physical barriers, it looks quite nice. There's kind of a physical barrier. You could very much Maybe they just, just haven't put in the ballwords yet. Oh, I doubt it. <laughs> with the w- That's a funny joke. Ballwords in Utah? Yeah, yeah, with the way they've got the curb cut set up, you could totally just drive onto it. See, in proximity next to a high school, feel like oh, yeah, that, that could, could definitely happen. Yeah, but and huge improvement over what was there before, and yeah. it would not be hard to retrofit if they have any problems. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. this has been the news. No. <laughs> As every news must end with a single note. Um, <laughs> so, when we talk about the post-war metros, we normally think of the big three. MARTA, Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transportation Authority, BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit, and most famous of all, and most successful of all, I should say, the Washington Metro. Also known as WMATA, Washington... Metropolitan Authority for Transportation or something? I don't know. (laughs) They really love their acronyms. Yeah, WMATA. Also the only federally controlled transit agency in the country. Makes sense. It's not even in a state. Which also explains why it sucks. (laughs) This is Washington, D.C. Yeah. D.C. should be a state. D.C. subway, yeah. Or a part of a state. Yeah. Yeah, although I would say there's enough distinct history between the district and Maryland that it should probably be its own state. All right, so what state are we getting rid of so we could make room for D.C.? Texas. Uh, All right. (laughs) North and South Dakota combined. Oh, that's a yeah, good idea, that, too. Yeah, that's a bit more re- real. Uh, yeah. Wyoming, Rico, Montana, and well. Idaho could make one good state as well, so... Yeah. Anyway. Or just, yeah, 52 with Puerto Rico. Yeah, or you just get rid of two and combine them with something else, then you keep the 50, so you don't have to change all the flags. Some Alaska back to Canada. No. Alaska nah. was part of Russia before. Oh, send it back to Russia. Russia won. <laughs> Russia, no, that's <laughs> a funny thing. Because closer. Russia has been, like, doing jingoism about trying to take Alaska back from America. <laughs> like, 
You know, Why? they're going, you know, they can't they can't take down the tiny post-Soviet republic that is Ukraine, but they're going to invade successfully the most powerful military power the world has ever known, you know. So, good luck with that. But yes, wow. anyway, Omada. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Big tangent there. It's understandable that these systems get a lot of attention. They move a lot of people, and they have a lot of lines, with the exception of Marta, which doesn't have a lot of lines. It has two and a half, sort of. But anyway, they move a lot of people, they have a lot of lines. And and these systems are, in many ways, the greatest success stories in American transit after the rise of automobility. This is true. Like, uh, for example, the Washington Metro is the second most used subway system in America. It beats the L. It beats the T. It beats the Broad Street and Market Frankfurt lines in Philly. It's a big boy. (laughs) Really? I did not think it was that good or that well used. Pre-pandemic, like 830,000 people a day on the Washington Metro. Of course, that's that doesn't even hold a candle to the eight bil- or eight million in New York, but you know, mm. yeah, that's still <laughs> that's good. still though. a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, and then Bart's pretty pretty high up there as well. I think it's like fifth or something, like five hundred thousand a day before the pandemic. So these are big players in American transit. Good numbers. Yeah, Marta, not so much, but you know. However, there are a few post-war American metros. They're kind of the strange, forgotten middle children of American rail transit. And they're stranded somewhere between the era of the Great Society metros and the light rail networks that were developed from the 1980s onward. Yeah. So these systems are still metros. Like, they they happened before Reagan happened, fortunately for them. Yeah. But they all have some quirks. I will say that. They're wacky, and they have sort of a unique Americanness to them. So without further ado, the forgotten post-war metros. Uh, one note, we will be ignoring LA's two subway lines because they are of a different period and nature than the four wacky metro lines we'll be talking about today. Like, they were ground out in the aftermath of Reaganomics versus these ones, which were pre-Reaganomics, which, you know, not to... Not to hate on Reagan more than I usually do, but <laughs> Reaganomics and its consequences were a disaster for American society. And still are. Like, yeah. Yeah. So. The first of these. The Patco High Speed Line. It's, wait, it's called the High Speed yeah, Line? Yeah, H-I uh, <laughs> hyphen Speed Line. That is delightfully dated. <laughs> it is very 19, like, 60s and 70s, now, right? I have to ask, is it high speed? Uh, it is. So it can go 65, which, oh, that's a lot which for, okay. a for its period is fast. Now, most modern American metros like Bard and Wamata can make 79. Like they are fast suckers because they were meant to be fast suckers. But this was kind of the first like step into the modern reality of American metros in that speed, automation, uh, fancy stations, all that sort of stuff. Hmm. It doesn't sound so bad. The Paco <laughs> Speed Line is a very nice line. It's just nobody thinks about it because everyone pretends that Philadelphia doesn't exist a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. So Wait, what doesn't exist? Philadelphia. You know, um, America's, like, fourth largest city. You know? <laughs> so, isn't geography. That, isn't that the one with the spray cheese or whatever? <laughs> yes, that's the one with the cheese steaks. And when I say forgets about Philadelphia, I mean in terms of transit. Yeah, yeah. Because SEPTA is a big deal, and it has a lot of interesting stuff going on, but everyone kind of just is like, in the general populace at least, like, hmm, there are exactly four subways in the United States. New York. New York, Washington, 
Boston and Chicago. That's it. And maybe Bart, depending on how much it's been making maybe headlines Bart, lately. Depending on how much it's broken lately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> cultural awareness of Philadelphia's various metro lines and transit there in general, not very high. Okay. So it's all it's all cheesesteaks, no patco. All cheesesteaks, no patco. This is true. So, the speed line starts in Center City, Philly in a subway, crosses the Ben Franklin Bridge over the Delaware River into Camden, New Jersey, then continues in an old commuter rail right-of-way into the New Jersey suburbs to terminate at Lindenwald, which is a delightfully northeastern name for a town. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Patco speed line is, in many ways, Bart's much smaller, older brother. It was the first automated metro line in North America and among the first in the world, and was in many ways the predecessor to all the great society metros. So, the speed line, or high speed line, if you want to get technical and go with their weird branding, was born out of the death of the privately owned commuter railways running between southern New Jersey and Philadelphia. Would anyone like to hazard a guess as to why these commuter railways died? The private automobile. Correct. Yeah. And massive amounts of government spending on automobile infrastructure and the lack thereof on the commuter rail. This is true. So, like, you know, previously before, before like 1920, Philadelphia was just, you know, the most commuter railed up city in the whole country. Like, you could get there from anywhere in in New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Delaware. It was real easy, right? But then... The federal government was like, no, highway. Yeah, and since these companies who were running this were private companies and commuter service was never that profitable in the first place, they're like, hmm, well, we're going to consolidate. Hmm, well, we're going to run less trips because this costs money. Hmm, we're just going to stop service. (laughs) Hmm, we're just going to go away. Bye. That's sad. Rest in peace, Pennsylvania Railroad. Gone too soon. Um, (laughs) So... In the aftermath of this, in the early 1950s, Pennsylvania and New Jersey created the Delaware River Port Authority, which is the Port Authority in Patco, to oversee the creation of an integrated passenger rail system to Philly's New Jersey suburbs. Initially, there were three Patco lines planned, following several of the old routes that the commuter rail lines had taken. So, like, you know, there's the current line, and then there was one off to the north of ways, and then there's one that the glassboro Camden light rail line is going to follow. <laughs> so, so, you know, we ended up building it anyway. It's just not done yet, and it's going to use DMUs and be shittier. But Because why would we build a nice thing when we could have a worse thing? This is true. America. <laughs> but I'm proud to be an American. So is this the same port authority as the, like, New York port no. authority? Different so, port? Yeah, different port. So there's... The major transit-related port authorities are the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, the Delaware River Port Authority, which is the PATCO one, and the Port Authority of Allegheny County, which is Pittsburgh's transit provider and doesn't actually have any control over any port-related things. So cool. Why do port authorities have so much say over transit? It's kind of just an eastern thing that they decided that they just wanted to put everything that wasn't highways under the control of one thing, and then they did that. So, like, the port, of, yeah, the port Authority of New, Jer- New York and New Jersey controls, like, everything that isn't the subway and highways, basically. Like, it's, it's weird. Sounds ripe for corruption. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about that sometime because <laughs> the, the, the New York politics in, like, 
1900 to 1980 is just the most interesting and bizarre thing, and it has so much to do with, like, roads and subways. Yeah, this sounds great. <laughs> it, it, it is, and I never thought of making an episode about that, but we're going to have to do it now. The corruption episode. The, corru- the New York City corruption episode. Specifically, because there's so much <laughs> of it in one yeah, place. Yeah, so... Uh, in the 1960s, though, Patco was cut back to one line, the Patco speed, high-speed line that we know and love today. Patco was very innovative for the time. It was the first automated metro system in America. It actually beat out BART, which many believe to be the first such system in the United States, had modern fare collection and had parking rides which, although often considered obsolete and poor land use today, were very modern features for the time. Additionally, the speed line was a fast system designed to move people quickly from the suburbs instead of serving dense neighborhoods with dense spots, as had traditionally been the case for, with American metros. Yeah, so like you get to the legacy metros like New York, uh, parts of the T, um, especially the Green Line on the T, uh, the Chicago L, and you get these really dense like stops because they're in really dense neighborhoods. But you go to the modern American metros, Washington, BART, PADCO, etc., there's a lot less density in stops. Like modern American metros have a typical stop density of once every mile. So versus like every, you know, quarter or half mile on the old metros. So these guys are designed to like, you know, I live in Lindenwald, New Jersey, and I sure like working in an office tower in Center City, Philadelphia. Boy, howdy, the Patco speed line is sure great for me. I mean, I guess this makes sense in the case of Patco because it's directly stepping in on where commuter lines were before. So I guess my question is then, were the park and ride lots a success? I mean, I'm not going to talk about land use here too much because, you know, we all know that park and rides are generally not good land use. But it should be noted that this was finished in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, 1969. So let's think about the cultural context for a moment. Like, we're still at the height of white flight. We're still, like, you know, obsessed with building new freeways and stuff. So the lesser of two evils is having a transit station that somebody drives to versus them just driving on the freeway. And did they have, like, a bus? I imagine yeah. they had a bus they had They had good bus connections to okay. it as well, which was also noted for, like, its innovation because apparently they didn't do time connections from buses to rail systems before this. Oh. So, <laughs> it does sound really... That, that <laughs> scares me. Yeah. So, not great. Um, also interesting about the speed line It's one of the very few U.S. rail lines to operate 24-7, even beating out nearby SEPTA uh, subway and L lines for span of service. Uh, The SEPTA metro lines, the Market Frankfurt and Broad Street lines, don't run 24-7. They have owl routes at night, bus routes that cover their span. So that's interesting. Yeah, well, we don't have either of those here. So good good on them. Um, Also interesting, it operates express service, which is... Among the modern American metros, I don't believe there are any that operate express service, except for PACO. I guess, again, makes sense because it's stepping in to take the place of those commuter lines. Well, I mean, but so are the other American metros. Like, BART is effectively more of a regional rail than the metro, and DC metro is, yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting. This is in some ways a little bit better than the ones that followed it. 
It seems to be kind of like and the technological peak of of the American Metro, or yeah, <laughs> the American Metro period. Yes, it, it really just sounds very innovative, and it. I'm surprised how much there is to talk about it if it's that forgotten. Well, it's like ten stops. Like it's it's not a big guy. It's I don't, let's see how many stops are in it. Let me look that up real quick. <coughs> because uh, thirteen stations. So wow. it's, it's not a big guy. It's a little guy. And it, how many miles? It is 14 miles long. Yeah, that's well, just like one not that long line. Yeah. Well, so were they just experimenting with it because it was such a short line or just because why not? The, the late 60s and early 70s were kind of a weird time in America because we were simultaneously obsessed with building stuff for the automobiles, but we also had this sort of like sudden upsurge of optimism for building rapid transit, for like making super modern rapid transit and like everyone was into it. Like Republicans would be like, I'm gonna secure funding for our city to build a metro like the Washington Metro. And everyone was really excited about it because there were all these new technologies that were making, you know, rail rapid transportation suddenly a much more viable option and then also we were starting to like realize after 10 years of terrible traffic congestion oh shit we might have screwed up here in building this whole society around freeways so the 60s and 70s are kind of a unique time in american transit because simultaneously we're like ah we don't need transit anymore we're gonna build freeways but also there's a whole bunch of people that are like no 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 we're gonna build these hyper modern hyper fast super cool metros that are gonna pull people out of their cars and solve traffic forever so is it so it's like the jetsons like oh we gotta be super futurist the jetsons is the perfect analogy for like the sort of mindset that people had towards towards urban transportation like sure we're all gonna have flying cars but we're also gonna have super fast metros Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, <good for> them. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's kind of a product of that weird mindset. Yeah. So the speed line was a rapid success. <laughs> Thank you. Um, carrying twenty one thousand daily riders in its first year and nearly thirty eight thousand daily riders by twenty nineteen. Nice. So, you know, sustained ridership growth over. A 50-year period. And that's a lot of riders for a little, like, 13-stop yeah, line. 13 stops is not bad. That's, what, 10 miles? So it's basically 3,500 riders per mile, which is very good for modern American rail, <laughs> I should say. Yeah. That sounds, like, yeah. the only other, like, BART and Washington Metro exceed that, but not by much. Like, BART does, like, 4,000 riders per mile pre-pandemic. Washington Metro did, like, 6,500 pre-pandemic also. So... You know, it's pretty decent. And it certainly exceeds a lot of light rail systems, like Portland had 2,500 per mile pre-pandemic. Salt Lake City had, like, shy of, just shy of 2,000. So, you know, pretty decent. Well, impressive. Yeah. So, conclusion, uh, the speed line was basically BART before BART, and without the space age aesthetics. Or the long distance. Well, yeah. So, now that we have finished one weird mini subway in the Northeast... Let's talk about the Baltimore subway link. The Baltimore what now? The Baltimore subway link. <laughs> the Baltimore s- metro is like one of those like big hauntology things. You guys know what hauntology is? Nope. It's like nostalgia for a past that could have been, basically. Oh, right, right. right. So like okay. the Seattle metro almost happened. That's a hauntology thing. The Baltimore metro almost happened. 
that's a hauntology thing. So okay. we could, you know, it's just one of those situations where America could have like two more metro systems than we do. Hmm. Yeah, so it is the only finished section of a planned 71-mile subway system that could have like been the equal of the Washington Metro very easily or, you know, MARTA or BART. It, it was quite an interesting thing. And I mean, if you look at the stations on the current Baltimore Metro, uh, let's pull up, a pic pull up a picture. Are they built like they belong? Oh, yeah. In that giant system? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It's it's very much designed to be, like, grand and inspiring. And if you look at the, like, concourses for some of the stations, like, here's another one. So, once again, we're getting to this weird aspirations that people had in the 60s and 70s of, like, we're going to build rapid transportation and it's going to save our inner cities from, you know, life, light, and decline, which was going on at the time. And in this case, this started, but never finished it. And now we're left with the Baltimore Subway Link. Yeah, so the original... Subway Link. Subway Link, right? <laughs> they, they just maybe drop the link. The Baltimore Subway is just fine. The Baltimore Link. No. <laughs> <laughs> link should be banned from all transit uh, vernacular forever. Link like rail? No, no links ever, because, you know, there, there's... Ooh, what about the L-Y-N-X from Florida? Oh, dear <coughs> Lord. Please oh, no. of course it's from Florida. Yeah. No. So, the original plan called for 71 miles of track with six lines radiating out into the Baltimore suburb in nearly every direction. Sounds like pretty standard subway stuff. Bog standard 20th century American metro, yeah. But big and brand new. Big and brand new, yeah. So it was basically the same size as the original WMATA plans. So there you go. That was, that was the scale of the plans. And although this plan was approved by both state and local governments, local residents were racist and feared integration and the poor is moving into their areas. So only a 15 and a half mile stretch running from Owens Mills, a mall, to Johns Hopkins, a hospital, was ever completed. Wow. So it does run into downtown from one end, but there isn't really anything on that end. <laughs> um, Let's fix our city by bringing people and development to it, but not the other color of people, just That's the one right. color then of people. Not yeah, that those we don't want we don't want, you know, integration coming into our suburb and, you know, only people of color can ride trains. So, oh right, <laughs> I forgot about that. So racism killed racism what could have killed been the such Baltimore a Metro system. This is true. Literally just straight up racism. Yeah. Um so the Metro Subway Link, which what a name. Um, <laughs> Metro, Subway, and Link. Yeah, did you have to include, like, every possible transit term in there? Apparently. The Metro, um, Subway, Link, Monorail, Underground, Overground. Light Rail. <laughs> <laughs> On rubber tires. Uh, it was completed in 1983, the initial segment, and later extended to its current length. It was just, like, a little short baby extension through downtown to Johns Hopkins, where it currently terminates. But it is a shell of the former plans. Before the pandemic, on its 15 miles of track, it pulled in about 18,000 daily riders. Because it's not the whole system. It's just like this one little piece. Right. So the red line is a superior rapid transit line to the Baltimore subway link. That's, That's sad. sad. Yeah. The, the track's red line. So is it mostly just students that use it? People that work at the hospital and people that work at the mall. That that is ninety percent of the ridership of this sucker. So and people are at the mall and have a medical emergency. Uh, yeah, I suppose it hospital. might be the fastest way to get. No, it's it. 
Yeah, so it, it's a weird, it's it, and it is a speedy little guy. Like, it's it's kind of in the same vein as Patco in that it's fast, at least. That's good. But it's just a piece of it's a system that never was. Yeah, it's a piece of a system that never was. It's kind of a, you know, little reminder that Americans can dream big and build big, too. But, <laughs> but uh, then also racist. Yeah. Um, so notes for this one, we're not going to talk about it very much because it's kind of a little depressing one compared to the other ones. Um, but the full metro was probably killed off by the Reagan administration and Reaganomics, as well as the endless funding problems that the Maryland Transportation Authority faced from its inception. Uh, it should be noted that the north-south line of the plan has been more recently built as a light rail line. Of course. Because we're Americans and we can't build anything else anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's certainly no metro. Another good move from Reagan. Right. Like, it's it's so weird because, like, the north-south line has been completed as... Um, light rail. As a light rail. And then one of the two east-west lines, like the north northwest quadrant line is completed, but then everything else is just, there's nothing. So we could have built big if Reagan we didn't step in and say, no building big. Yeah, And also racism. We could have built big. We could have... The Bal- Baltimore could be, like... Because the thing is, and I and I don't want to be like weird here. The Washington Metro saved Washington D.C. No question about it. Like that city would not exist in its current form without like the sort of economic redevelopment that the Metro brought. And that did come along with some nasty displacement and stuff, which is bad. But like D.C. had a really bad reputation for violence, for because you know it was an inner city. It had been abandoned by the whites who had fled to the suburbs and were driving in to go to their, you know, job in the Capitol building. The metro saved Washington, D.C. And Baltimore now has one of the worst reputations of cities in America because it's never had the sort of reinvestment that the metro could have brought it. So, very sad, very sad. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so rest in peace, the uh, Baltimore metro... Rest Gone too peace. soon. When I am God Emperor of the United States, you will be built. You better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> as an actual metro, not as a BRT. No, it's going to be a BRT. <laughs> Fully grade separated. <laughs> a BRT on steel wheels. Yes. <laughs> That's how I'm going to start describing light rail BRT on steel wheels. Well, next, we're on to sunny Miami Metro Rail. Yeah, the Miami Metro Rail, the boondoggle, and that's in quotes, that killed American Metro construction for 40 years. Oh. That's mostly a joke, but not really, because the just huge cost overruns and, it, and just incredibly low ridership that Metro Rail saw in its early days kind of created the massive Republican opposition to public transportation. Because Reaganomics, right, it's all about, you know, not spending money on anything except, except the military. The military. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, wow, if we can't build this exactly economically and on time... It must be bad. So we're never going to build another metro ever again. And if just one of several metro projects fails, then obviously metros are categorically bad. So we're probably not thinking that stopping building metros would increase costs even more? No, they didn't think that. Because why would they think that? Because spending is bad automatically. Except the military. Except the military. Well, and gas subsidies. And gas subsidies. Don't forget about those. Oil in general. And giving cheese to the poor (laughs) spice. (laughs) Okay, well, cheese. Cheese. I'm on the cheese I'm on board with the cheese subsidies. All right. So the Metro Rail arose in 1971 
awful late, as regional and local planners hope to alleviate the enormous traffic caused by Metro Miami's even more enormous growth. Yeah, uh, federal funding and local funding were secured, and the construction of the initial line began in 1980 at the beginning of the administration of he who shall not be named. The system, like a lot of these that we've talked about today, it seems, uh, was initially meant to be over 50 miles long, but due to cost overruns, only the first segment, about 20 miles long, was ever completed. The project unfortunately experienced massive cost overruns, drawing criticism from all sectors of political life. The era of the Great Society metros was over. So Metro Rail sounded the death knell. Um, So do we know what specifically caused these overruns? Florida and incompetence. Oh, they tried Florida digging underground is, in Florida. Florida and Florida. Florida is a difficult geography to build anything in because it is. Aren't you supposed to just like not go swamp. underground in Florida? It doesn't go underground. It's fully elevated. Oh, okay. But it's a swamp. The yeah. entire state is a swamp, and so you try and build anything large and made of concrete and steel on a swamp, and the swamp <laughs> will sink. So. Yeah. That, that's that's the main cause of the issues. Also, Florida is an incredibly terrible and incompetent state that should be wiped from the face of the earth, for which reason I'm glad climate change will be happening soon. Um, <laughs> but but no, it, it was, yeah, administrative incompetence and Florida being a terrible geography to build anything in. So although Metro, Metro Rail saw 125,000 riders on its first day in service, only 10,000 people were riding it on weekdays soon afterwards, uh, with a meager bump to 15,000 on the whole damn thing after the green line was completed. 15,000. This is this is a full metro line, fully grade separated, 20 miles long. It's getting less than 1,000 riders per mile in its first few years. One of the reasons for this lack of ridership is that it was designed as a park and ride oriented system but not enough people were parking and the areas surrounding the majority of the line were far too low density to support a full-on grade separated metro system. Right, and the issue with the park and ride model in Miami is that it's not a big head office city. So head office cities are cities that have a high concentration of office work in their central cities, like Calgary, the biggest head office city in this continent, right? Like 50% of the population works downtown and therefore 50% of the population that works downtown takes, you know, the light rail downtown, which is why light rail in Calgary is so fantastically successful, even though it runs through suburban Hellscape for most of its distance. And this is the exact type of trip that park and rides are meant to capture that suburb to downtown office, except there's really, really bad car congestion. So it ends up being worth it for you to own a car, pay for a car, but still park it and then take the train for the rest of your trip just to avoid the congestion. Just to save time, yeah. Hmm. But that's just one kind of but trip that's not, and not really one that's happening that much Yeah, here. Miami is not a big head office city and it never has been. So Metro Rail terminates in downtown Miami. Nobody's going there. Th- this just work. seems like poor planning. To an extent, yes. But fortunately... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, President Ronald Reagan on its opening, well, a couple years after its opening, mind you, because it had bad ridership, commented that, quote, given the low number of riders, it would have been cheaper to buy them all a limousine than the billion dollar cost of building and subsidizing the system. This is literally true. Like, the math is literally true. It had such low ridership, it would have been cheaper to buy everyone, like, who rides it every day, an expensive limousine. That's kind of bad. That's really bad. bad. (laughs) That's very bad. Um, But 
Fortunately for everyone, Metro Rail won the Who Must Go competition with President Reagan. You know the meme, <laughs> Who Must Go? Metro Rail Must Go. Who Must Go? Ronald Reagan, dead, whatever year. But it has seen just enormous ridership growth over the years, reaching nearly 75,000 daily riders before the pandemic. This is due to increasing density along its corridor and a concerted effort to do transit-oriented development once they realized that the park and ride wasn't working. So literally the entire ridership problem was just there weren't things at the stations. Yeah. So now it's like, you know, a relative... It's not the best by any means, but it gets like 3,000 riders per mile, which is not... All right. That's like slightly less than Paco, so... It's fine. Well, it's fine. For a modern American metro. Yeah. As long as they're trying to yeah. use it. They yeah. did also get an airport extension in 2012. Yes, uh, which was supposed to go further, but... Uh, then it didn't. So Rip. that money was used on like the weird Sky Street car that they have in downtown Miami. You know, it's called the Metro Mover. It's oh like yeah, we talked about this one in the weird gadget bonds episode. Yeah, yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. Weird little guy. So Metro Rail serves as a reminder that a it takes political will and consensus to build transit, and b land use is almost as important as quality of service, speed, and any other factor in the success of a rapid transit system. Yep. Well, cries in front runner. Uh, yeah. Cries and tracks. Well, Frontrunner is successful anyway because Salt Lake City is a big head office city. Yeah. <laughs> like, surprisingly big for its size. Continues like, to cry and tracks. The daytime population <laughs> of Salt Lake City is 300,000 people, and there are only 100,000 people of working age that live in Salt Lake City. The fact that there are several head office areas in Salt Lake City in the greater metropolitan area makes Frontrunner viable. Cool. Hmm. Hopefully in the long term we'll still see some aggressive transit-oriented development. <laughs> That's funny. I know. Uh, you're funny. <laughs> I'm absolutely Utah hilarious. planning ahead, it couldn't be us. So, and now we arrive at the weirdest of these guys, the Cleveland Red Line. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Fun times in Cleveland today. Cleveland. So, Cleveland, the weirdest American city to have a uh, heavy rail rapid transit system, or a metro as we call them in transit circles. So... Does anyone want to guess when the Cleveland Metro was built? 70s? Alex? Early 80s? Incorrect. 1955. What? So, <laughs> so, so, this is what makes the Cleveland Red Line, the Cleveland Metro, it's what makes it so interesting, is that it is the only metro that I know of that was built in a time when basically nothing else was being built. Like, this, it was built in when we were actively building the interstate system. So they just built... Like a one-line metro for fun? Nope. They built it because they thought it'd be a good thing to have a subway. Wait, I mean based. (laughs) Yeah. Construction on the Red Line commenced in 1952, and the first segment opened for service in 1955. Expansions continued until 1968, bringing it to its current eastern terminus at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport, and making it, coincidentally, the first air rail link in the country, and at its western terminus at Stokes Windmere in East Cleveland. So, the, the Cleveland Metro, the Red Line, started before any of the other post-war retros and finished before any of the other post-war metros were built. And it's still forgotten. And it's still wow. forgotten. It is it's very, not even in the tourism video, it's that forgotten. It is the first air rail link in the country. And if I'm not mistaken, it is one of the first in the world. Why aren't we talking about this more then? Because, or at all? well, it's <laughs> kind of like the last of the pre-war subways... Um, it kind of replaced like a, an inner urban. 
So it's functionally more of a pre-war subway, even though it was built 10 years after the war. Right. And it replaced, and it was designed to serve the city's main rail station. Okay. Very so, old-fashioned back very, in the day when we had those ye, the old The oldie system, yeah. Um, also, it uses overhead lines for its power, which is very unique among modern American metros. Like, I think there are only, and don't quote me on this, three proper metro lines in North America that use overhead wire. Two of them are in Boston, and one of them is in Cleveland. All the other ones use uh, third, third rail. rail. Hmm. So that's awesome. another unique thing. That's cool. Catenary superiority. Yeah. And then also, it is, to my knowledge, the only heavy rapid transit system in the Western Hemisphere and maybe in the world that shares tracks and stations with light rail. What? Is that allowed? Yeah. Uh-huh. It shares, like, Cleveland has two light rail lines. Yeah. And one subway line. And they share tracks in the city center. I mean, that makes sense from an operational perspective, but that is not normal. It's, also, it's why, wacky. Also, why did they build light rail lines instead of just expanding the metro? Um, using the metro technology. The light rail lines are literally just inner urbans that never went out of service. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> cool. Kind of one of those weird Midwest transit quirks. And um, now they're just running on, like, modern light rail rolling stock? Modern is a bit of a stretch. Modern as in, <laughs> not, modern as in not from the year 1900. Yeah, the last thing that they bought was new uh, red line cars in the 80s. So (laughs) these are getting pretty dated. Yeah, the the Cleveland Red Line is just the most interesting system because it gets no ridership. Like it gets the same ridership as like the subway in Baltimore. Like it gets 18,000 riders a day. Basically, it runs like 10 minute service at maximum, but it's fully grade separated. And it runs to the airport, and it shares stations with light rail, and it uses catenaries. It's just the most interesting little dude. So we're getting light rail frequencies and ridership on a grade-separated metro line using metro rolling stock. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Also, I believe it is the only metro line in the country that has only one stop within the city center. Fun fact. That seems... That's weird. Not great. Like, there is... It's, I think it's called Tower City Station, and all, and that's the only rail stop in downtown. So the light rail lines stop there, and the red line stops there on the same platform, mind you. What sort of effects has this had on, like, the shape of their downtown? Well, I mean, the most dense development is concentrated around Tower City. I will say that. Well, that's good. And it sort of gets more parking-y the further away you get from there. But it is very interesting. Unique. Unique. Hashtag not like other post-war metros. Yeah, and... You know, I'm not normally just, like, a ride transit for the sake of it sort of person, but, like, I want to go to Cleveland and ride the red line because it's a very interesting dude. Hmm. And also, this train does not carry jobs out of Cleveland. It carries jobs into Cleveland. As you can tell, I just have sort of an affinity for the Cleveland red line. I think it's weird and cute and fun. So it's sort of like my obsession with the Morgantown PRT. Yeah. (laughs) Do people in Cleveland have a similar obsession with their own deadline? No, it's, it's not very well you? used. Yeah? It's Cleveland, despite their best efforts, very much has a um, captive rider-serving transit system, not a choice rider-serving transit system. So take that as you will. <laughs> um in so, conclusion, America can build metros, yeah. even in smaller cities. But Freedom! We, but we have to coordinate <laughs> land use and sustain the political will to do so. Democracy! Yeah. We <laughs> seem to be nearing the point where there may be more American metros under construction than in a long time. 
Heart, for example, the Second Avenue subway. There's, you know, extensions being proposed left and right to the LA subway. I mean, Link Light Rail, basically a metro. Let's be honest, it just uses weird vehicles because Americans are dumb. So, you know, it's, it's a good time for metro construction in America, and we should be building one everywhere. No more light rail, no more BRT. We're building metros in this country again. And they're going to be weird and quirky and uniquely American like these guys. They're going to interline with our light rail systems occasionally because we feel like it, and it's going to be great. And we're going to call them all light metros because of antiquated regulatory stuff and also it has light in it, therefore it must be easier to build. And we're going to use exclusively third rail because third rail is based. That was a joke. Kyle, chill out. Good. Um, <laughs> so, leave a like and subscribe. Uh, that's the video, or podcast, I guess, isn't a video. <laughs> Episode. Episode. Uh, leave a like and subscribe on YouTube. Follow us and give us a rating on iTunes and Spotify. And follow us on Twitter for my Urbanist Shoot posting. Also, please visit our website at trlpod.com for more content. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our patrons, who are... At $10, our frontrunner tier patrons are Curtis Herring, Mike Christensen, and Phobos2390. At $5, our redline tier patrons are Brian Smith, Jacob Whitecotton, and Robert P. Walsh. And at $3, our blue line patrons are Ben Booseth, DJ Will Watkins, Hello. Hi, Will. Ethan McDonald, <laughs> and Martin Hocker Martinez. Thank you for listening and for paying us to do this nonsense. Go ride weird transit. Yeah, the, the Cleveland and eat cheese steak. The seventh, the the the, the red line subway uh, in in Salt Lake City that interlines with the blue and green lines that are still light rail. When? Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow. Right. All right. Now we're gonna watch hastily made Cleveland tourism video. That sounds Please. like a good plan. <laughs>